Father, again, good to be in your house, good to be with your people. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would uh, open our hearts and souls to receive the word this evening. We do pray the prayer list is always lengthy. Folks that we know, our acquaintances that uh, perhaps we've not mentioned this evening, but we do pray for them, lift them up. We thank you that you are omniscient and omnipotent, and we do pray, Lord, according to your will, you restore uh, each and every one of them. We thank you for answer prayer on behalf of so many, and we praise you <clears throat> because you are the great physician. We do pray, Father, that you guide us this evening as we continue to look at this uh, marvelous passage in the book of Exodus. Teach us something that we can <clears throat> apply to our lives as, as we always can when the, word is, uh, when the word is proclaimed. Bless, I pray, every family and individual here to your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter 4. Last Sunday evening, I took you through um, a number of passages in the first part of the book of uh, Exodus that have, have to do with uh, what's uh, mentioned in verse uh, 21 of chapter 4. Let's read that again. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And so we looked at uh, a number of passages where specifically it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. We looked at passages where it says specifically that Pharaoh's heart was being hardened, and then those that says that uh, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So put together, the, the message is very clear, and that is that uh, God... Uh, in fact, we'll see that. Go to the next slide, if you would, brother. The, what we see is that before Moses even arrives back in Egypt, God is telling him that he has a plan, he has a purpose to harden Pharaoh's heart. Uh, if you go to the New Testament and we were to take the time and look at Herod the Great or Herod Antipas or Pontius Pilate or others, King Agrippa, later on in uh, the book of Acts, we'll see a similar thing that takes place. Now, the verbiage is slightly different, but there is a, this intent, there's this purpose that God is working out. Uh, so we talked about this last Sunday night uh, as well. Yahweh is not dealing with a passive person. And when people are, um, all of us are, are sinners, uh, I don't think that you can honestly say that anyone is any more grave sinner than another. But what we do know is that there are individuals that uh, are some are favorably disposed to the Creator because of our exposure to the Word and so forth, and others. But none of us are neutral. Uh, again, there's the working of the Spirit of God, and that's why we need to be open to. Uh, to the Holy Spirit. So what we see here and what we saw in those passages <clears throat> is that Pharaoh is utterly opposed to Moses' God. Um, he, Yahweh doesn't have to create any evil in Pharaoh's heart. <laughs> he doesn't have, he's not making him a more hardened sinner. This is all the responsibility of Pharaoh. And look, if you would, at uh, chapter 5, just across the page there, 
And verse 2 says, And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I don't know him, and I'm not going to do it. So that's about as obstinate a statement as you can find in Scripture. And there are others, many others, that have the same level of obstinance. We see quite a bit of that today. Uh, in my reading during the week, the, the, uh, the extent... One of the things that you have to keep in mind, there are over 8 billion people on the earth today. <clears throat> what that means is there are 8 billion sinners. So in equation, you can say there are, there's more sin that's being committed just because there are more people. Uh, we see that here in the book of Exodus. We'll continue to see it as we go through. We see it in the lives of the Hebrew people, the Hebrew children. None of us are neutral with, when it comes to, the, to uh, <clears throat> our exposure to God's things and for, to his command that we repent. So what God does is he only has to give Pharaoh over to his own sin in an act of judgment. Now, turn with me to Romans 9. We spent quite a bit of time in the book of Romans when we were there in chapter 9. And chapter 9 is, is one of those very... Uh, <clears throat> it's an eye-opening, but it's also a difficult passage of Scripture, primarily because it paints the depravity of man in such a, uh, uh, a startling light. But it also, we see in this passage, as always, we see the grace of God, and that's important to remember as well. <clears throat> so, um, look at verse 14 of chapter 9. Uh, what shall we say then? The, the, the preceding verses had to do with uh, uh, Jacob and Esau. Uh, and so Paul's building a, his case on God's moving in and out of the lives of people based on the life, the lives rather, of Jacob and Esau. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? And obviously there is none, certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom... Ever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Now that is toward the end of the book of Exodus. It occurs, the statement by the Lord, these words by the Lord occur after the second giving of the law. So <clears throat> that is, um, again, mentioned in Exodus, and Paul quotes it here in the book of Romans. So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Mercy is a component, a characteristic, an attribute of God. And he displays it. In fact, he told Moses, I, I'll have mercy on whomever I desire to have mercy. Now, in the person of Jesus Christ, we see that that mercy is, is uh, presented. It is available for everyone. But there are... There are always uh, expectations. There's always a responsibility to respond in kind to the mercy of God. Pharaoh didn't. Pharaoh essentially chose his own way. We, we didn't get there this morning, but next Sunday we will look at a passage dealing with the Pharisees and scribes. Highly, highly religious people. And we see that they themselves 
choose a path of self-righteousness as opposed to denying that they are self-righteous and receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So this is played out all the way through Scripture. It says, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. Now, we take this in conjunction with what's said in Romans chapter 1, where people <coughs> become the old, uh, old English, the old King James says reprobate, which is still a great word, and that's essentially uh, what happens here to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I don't know this Lord, and, I, and I'm not going to obey him. It's sort of like the atheist that says, uh, I don't believe in God, uh, and I'm not going to obey your God. Well, if you're an atheist, why would you even be moved to not obey God? And so that's, the, that's where we are with, um, with the life of Pharaoh here. Um, so let's go back to Exodus. <clears throat> so what we learn from this is that there are purposes uh, of God in the plagues. And the plagues took place because of Pharaoh's resistance and so that God's power would be displayed to the Hebrew people. <laughs> They've been slaves for, for a long period of time. I've been in Egypt for 400 years and a good portion of that time they were enslaved. So God's purpose is not only in the life of Pharaoh, but God's purpose is also in the life of Moses and is also in the life of the Hebrew people. He is delivering them, and so we see here he raises Pharaoh up to display his power, his authority, his word is stronger than that of Pharaoh. So, <clears throat> at the end time, the great white throne judgment, we'll see this play, play out. Uh, <clears throat> God's purposes in the plagues. Israel was freed because of God's work through the, uh, the plagues. And then God reminded them that they were to remind their progeny, their children, of his great work there in the land of Egypt. Look at chapter 10. <clears throat> Verse 1, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants. So not only Pharaoh, but his council, uh, his cabinet, if you please. <clears throat> we pray for our government. Every Lord's Day I pray that you follow that uh, admonition in, uh, in your daily prayers and that we follow it through uh, in our nation. No doubt there are a number of individuals that are in perhaps the federal or local or state government that do know the Lord. But here's an instance, obviously, these are pagan people. They had no exposure to the Lord. And the sad thing is... The Hebrew people apparently 
had not been a witness at all, or at least we don't see that in the book of Exodus. They had not declared the, uh, uh, the single authority of Yahweh to the, to the uh, Egyptian people. So part of this is God sending Moses to Egypt to warn them and remind them of who he is. Sometimes we forget that. There's always, there's always more at play in the purposes of God than we ever can imagine. And so he says, I've hardened his heart in the hearts of his servants that I may show these signs of mine before him that you may tell the hearing of your son, tell it in the hearing of your son, your son's son, the mighty things that I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses goes in again, Moses and Aaron, verse 3, came into Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Now that's a striking word to a man who considered himself to be a god. <laughs> Why should I humble myself? I'm the Pharaoh. I am, and we'll see this play out, I am the son of Ra. I'm the son of the sun god. Uh so God uh, reminds Moses, reminds Aaron, he said this, this is going to play out There's, in the Passover passages, chapters 11 through 14, we see it play out, 11 and 12 rather, we see it play out and the, the uh, heads of the Hebrew households are told you to do this every year. In fact, Christ was crucified during the Passover season. So, for the most part, <clears throat> they were consistent. Now, when they went into captivity, it was difficult for them to do that. The Romans did permit them to begin to observe the Passover again, and that's why we have what takes place in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Next slide, sir, uh, brother. <clears throat> All right, let's see. So God's plan, as we said, was to harden Pharaoh's heart. Go back to chapter 4 and look at verse 14. <clears throat> so the scripture says, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in your heart. Now you speak to him and put your words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. He will be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be uh, to him as a god. So several times, this was one time, but several times the Lord was his anger was kindled or it was lifted because of the sin of Moses. God's anger is aroused by evil and sin. Now, look across the page. Verse 24. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about Moses. And we'll see this, probably begin to see this next week. 
And uh, this was because Moses had either forgotten or he refused, one of the two, probably a combination of both, uh, to have his, uh, his sons uh, circumcised, which was the sign of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. We'll talk about that next Sunday morning as well. So you have in verse 14, God being angry with Moses because of his obstinance. We see God is angry with Pharaoh because of his obstinance. And here in verse 24, uh, we, in 25, we see that God then uh, seeks to, and we'll talk about this when we come to that passage, but he seeks to kill Moses. And God certainly could have killed him and used Aaron. But again, these are the purposes of God that play out. The difference here, we talked about this back uh, just a few minutes ago in Romans chapter 9. Moses received mercy. And the reason Moses received mercy is he humbled himself before God. <clears throat> he accepted the responsibility that God had charged him with. The same was available to Pharaoh. But he did not humble himself. And so all the admonitions in Scripture about humbling ourselves, it is vitally important that we learn that. No one's ever saved until there's humility that moves us to a point where we understand that we need to be saved. So Pharaoh, as all sinners was left to the ramifications of his sins. And the ramification of sin plays out in the lack of a responsibility, maybe not in his daily work. Pharaoh was no doubt a very responsible leader, but that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is that he lacked responsibility in obeying the God of Israel. So, several takeaways here. God's not constrained by either Pharaoh's will or ours. <clears throat> he dispenses mercy according to his counsel, his purposes, and the goodness of his will. He doesn't have to do it. He does it because he's a good God. And so this theme, and understandably, when we read this and we see the number of times it's mentioned in the book of Exodus and other parts of the Word of God. It raises many questions, and it raises many questions because we don't understand the purposes of God. Look back over your life. I think of this quite often. Robbie and I will, just about a month or so, will uh, celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. And you look back over the, those times, there are specific areas and times where God's purposes play out in your life. You don't see them at the time. You don't. In fact, many of the, many of the hardships or, or the troubles that we have, we're scratching our heads and, and getting angry at, uh, at the wife, at the husband, at the kids, at the dog, at God because we don't see the purposes of God play out. Now, we can see that as we go through the book of Exodus because it occurred 
many, many millennia ago, and it's recorded for us. And perhaps if we had recorded some of these situations when we were going through them, we would have a better understanding of them. But a lot of the times questions arise in our life because we don't see the overall picture, the panorama that God provides for us in our lives. So this is a plain and definitive description of God's sovereignty. And it's also a plain and definitive description of man's responsibility. Uh, and if we always are looking for, well, this is, the, this is the, the overarching sovereignty of God I can't accept, and this is the overarching uh, the responsibility of man I can't accept, it, we're going to be disappointed. We have to take the word of God as it is. And we have to teach it, and we have to let the spirit of God move in our hearts in life. How can this be? We're not told. We're never told. And we're not going to figure that out. You've heard me say that hundreds of times. We are not going to figure it out. It is beyond our comprehension. So I think there's one. Is there another slide? One more slide? Or is that it? <coughs> yeah. Scripture never removes. This is a great mystery. The salvation is a great mystery. Scripture never removes this mystery, never defines for us this mystery. We only state the mystery. And in Romans chapter 9, in fact, let's go there, let's close with that tonight. <clears throat> Again, Romans 9. We can develop a wrong spirit about what we're studying, and we need to be very careful with doing that. In fact, Paul says in verse 19, you will say to me, then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing form say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for uh, honor and another for dishonor? What if God, willing to show, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering, much, much patience, the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Now, Pharaoh is one of these, and there are many of them throughout the word of God, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. You and I that are born again are vessels of mercy. Which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. We will learn next Sunday morning that part of the grace of reconciliation is that we have not only been reconciled to God, but we have been reconciled to each other. And that is a marvelous thing. So, 
We've seen back in uh, Exodus 4 that nothing within Moses or you and I provides for either being hardened or another receiving mercy. We see that in Romans 9, other passages of Scripture. It is purely reflective of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Why did the Lord call the twelve that he called? It's reflective of his mercy, of his grace. Uh, and again, I will agree, it's a conundrum. It's a theological conundrum, big word. It's one of those things that we see many, many times in the Bible. We see it play out. And the very best that we can do because we're finite is accept the word as it stands. That's the best way to interpret the word of God is always the word of God. If we start pulling philosophy from one man, philosophy from another, and we try to try to make try to, to integrate these, we will always be at loggerheads. We must take refuge in God's omnipotence. That God knows better what He's doing than I do, and His omniscience. That because of His wisdom, because of His plan, and His purpose. He brought about Israel's deliverance. Had it not been for this, Egypt, perhaps, may still be in bondage. It's not Egypt, but uh, Israel may still be in bondage. So he did this not only for the Israeli people, but he did it for you and I. Because through this came the Messiah. And so, look at chapter 11 of Romans, and we spent time on this as well. Verse 32, For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. This specifically has to do with Israel, but it also can be applied to you and I. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Who is not in the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who is first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, and to whom be glory forever. Amen. So as of when we were going through this, I reminded you that this completed um, the, the uh, deep dive into the theology that Paul wrote to the church at Rome, and it begins the application. He begins the application in chapter 12. So we see some of that in the book in the Old Testament, but not to the detail, obviously, that we see in the New Testament. So again, trust the Word, trust how God works in the lives of these people in the past and how He works in the lives of people today. Comments or questions? Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we thank You tonight for your grace. We thank you, Lord Jesus, because you are the embodiment of that grace. We're told as we've studied the word that it is through the grace of God alone, in Jesus Christ alone, 
by faith alone in Jesus through the scriptures alone that we learn these things. We pray that we may hide them in our hearts that we may not sin against you. And we do pray for your blessings upon those that are here this evening. God and direct, keep us safe in Jesus' name.